Hey, we're doing a series uh, on the Vineyard Values, and one of the reasons we're doing that is we've had a lot of new people in the church, and the, the people have a lot of questions about what is the Vineyard, what do, they, what do they believe, what are their values, and values really are one of those things that communicate more of the underlying culture of the church. And so um, last week, Rebecca did a great job talking about partnering with the Holy Spirit. That's a huge value uh, for the Vineyard that we uh, come alongside, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, and the ministry that we do and the kingdom that we get to be a part of is really partnering with what, uh, what God is doing in the lives of people in the world. And so I'm going to read just a, a, the beginning of this value, and it says, and this value they talk about is, as experience, let's see if I got it here, and worship of God. So it's this, the kingdom of God is not a geopolitical territory, nor is it the people of God. Rather, the kingdom of God is a dynamic realm where one enters the kingdom, she or he experiences the dynamic reality which exists within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This means that the experience of the kingdom of God and thus the experience of God's presence is central to our Christian faith. And that God is eager to be known and experienced by all. We believe that God is searching for lost humanity in order to draw them and draw us into an intimate relationship with him. In response to God's initiative, we value the life-changing power and experience of his presence. When I think of experiencing God in, in worship, I, I immediately go back to my conversion, the time where I surrendered my life to God. In fact, it was in this church, believe it or not. I think I was sitting right over there someplace. And I remember I'd, I'd come to a place in my life where I really understood that following the Lord was a wholehearted commitment. It wasn't a half-hearted commitment. It wasn't just a religious understanding of certain beliefs or doctrines. But it was this, it was a, the, an understanding that God wanted my whole life. And quite honestly, I was really wrestling with that. I, I figured early on I'd, I'd come to this realization sometime in the previous eight, six, eight months before that. And um, I was sitting in this church first time, and I, I sort of said to God, you know, God, I would like to follow you, but I'd like to wait till I'm 50. I don't know if you've ever been there. You're, you're like, I have a lot more life to live. So I figured... I'll get all that out of my system, and then when I'm 50 years old, I'll, I'll give you my life. And I remember that the, the uh, pastor preached on this passage, and it was, uh, and some of you have heard this story before, where, where um, there's a gardener, and there's a tree in the garden, and the owner of the garden walks through the garden with the gardener, and the, the owner of the garden says, this tree's not bearing fruit, cut it down. And the gardener's like, no, wait, don't cut it down, give it a year. I'll fertilize it. I'll aerate the roots. If it doesn't bear fruit in a year, we'll cut it down. All right, great story. The pastor then says, when's the year for your life? Is it six months from now? Is it 12 months? Are you living on borrowed time? And I, and I came to the, the realization that God wanted me to follow him then, that that was the day. And 
So I surrendered. I said, okay, Lord, you got me. And I remember, and I remember raising my hands. And, and raise, you'll see people raise hands in worship, right? How many of you guys will raise your hands in worship? Raise your hands if you like to raise it. Okay, many of you do. Well, in this church back then, a lot of people raised their hands. I didn't go to a church where people raised their hands. I thought it was very funny. I thought it looked funny. Why are people raising their hands in worship? I mean, the Bible says that, you know, I want everyone to lift up holy hands in prayer. And, and so, you know, there's biblical precedent for raising your hands. But I just thought it was weird. But after I surrendered, I said, okay, Lord, you got me. I raised my hands almost in surrender. So you have me. And then I had this crazy experience of the love of God. I, my young 18-year-old mind really thought that raising your hands was a funnel for the love of God. Because when I raised them up, I felt the, the love of God just pour into my life. And I'm like, no wonder they raised their hands. It's like a divine funnel. We just put them up, and it just collects this love that's coming from above. I mean, this is the way my brain experienced it. it was, that was my understanding. But it was a powerful encounter with Jesus that I never, ever forgot. And when the vineyard talks about experiencing God, there's some good theology that backs up these, this idea of experiencing God. And I'm, I'm going to go there just for a minute. This, so God, he forms us through these experiences that we have with him. And, and there's a passage in John, John 10, 14, and 15 says this. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going I'm to read it again. We're going to count the words no. I am the good shepherd. I know. That's one time. My sheep. And my sheep know me. That's two. Just as the Father knows, that's three, me, I, four, know the Father. So the word for know in Greek is gnosko. I put it down there for those that can read Greek, and it just means to know. But one of its dominant meanings is the idea that we know through experience. We know through experience. So when Jesus is saying, I know my sheep, he has intimate experience with those that he calls his sheep. And he says that my sheep, gnosko, my sheep know me. And then he relates it to his relationship with the Father. This idea that we know God through repeated experience of him over and over and over. It's a relational knowledge through repeated experience. Some people uh, will talk about, you know, sort of growing in God, spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer. And sometimes those simple acts can become sort of a religious function. We, we, we rate our spiritual life by how maybe faithful we are in prayer. When I was young, we used to have these accountability groups, and, and we would literally talk about every week, we'd report how many times we, we read the Bible, if we read it in a day and we prayed in a day, and we would go, well, I was three out of seven. No, I was four out of seven. Oh, I was seven out of seven this week. I mean, we would, we would hold each other accountable 
But the downside of that accountability is it could become just a religious act as opposed to a way to experience God. Because God's word is a means of grace in our life. If we come to it to receive, if we come to it hungry, come to him thirsty, and we use those moments to know, to gnosko, to relate to God, and in that relating, there's a growing transformation. We grow in our relationship with God through repeated experiences. That's why the Bible says when we come together, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because there is, there is ways we meet with God, and one of them is on a gathering of believers, and we do it on Sunday morning. And there's an encounter when we gather together, and we sing together. We meet him in a special way in community that changes us ever so slightly, but very significantly. I'm going to show you a connection in a Bible passage here, how our experience with God doesn't just stay there, but it brings us to a place of worship. There's a passage in the Gospel of John. Uh, it's a story about uh, a blind man, and I'll read you bits of it. We won't read the whole thing. And It's in the ninth chapter, and he says this. He says, as he went along, he saw a man, that's Jesus, born, who was uh, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents? That's why he was born blind. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents. He said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And as long as it is day, he said, we must do the work of him who sent him. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he says, after saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And he said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. He said, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, this is a powerful story, but it doesn't end there. I'm skipping the part where the Pharisees argue with him, and they end up, uh, at the end, uh, kicking him out of the synagogue because he believed in Jesus. And he says this, Jesus heard that he had been thrown out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the formerly blind man said, who is he, sir? And he said, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. You know, the, the encounters that we have with Jesus don't just stay as encounters. They get transformed into worship. There, there is something about meeting Jesus. There's something about encountering Jesus that doesn't just stop with this meeting, but it brings us to a place of awe, of wonder, of praise, of adoration, of gratitude, of thankfulness. All are a part of worship. 
There's one Greek verb, uh, proskuneo, which has this idea that the, of bowing down. It's one of the Greek words translated worship. There, there's an act of adoration when we truly worship God. I'll give you one of my favorite definitions of worship. It's by, uh, he was an Anglican. He ended up being, uh, he was a bishop, and, and um, his name was William Temple, and he lived from 1881 to 1944. And, and it, he wrote one of my favorite definitions of worship. And he said this, he said, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscious conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. I just love that because it's a full-bodied worship, mind, will, emotions. And if, if, if you've never sort of surrendered in worship, it's one of the greatest gifts we have. You know, years ago when, when I was a young believer, there was these really simple songs that we would sing in church. And, and you did not even need to put the lyrics up. There was this, this one that would, um, uh, w which was this way to sing Alleluia. And do you, I don't know if you guys know what Alleluia means. It means praise be to Yah, praise be to God. And so when you sing Alleluia, you are literally saying praise be to Yahweh, praise be to God. And there was this simple little song we used to sing a cappella, and it would go something like this. It would go, Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let's try that. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. And then we would throw in some other words. We'd throw in like, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Give it a try. 
Lord, we love you. 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 There is something beautiful about when we worship. You don't need a band. You don't even need to sing well. You just need a heart. You can do it when you're taking a walk. You can do it when you're driving your car. You know, if you're like me, sometimes I embarrass myself because I, I sing inside my head, but then sometimes I'm singing outside my head and people look at me in the store and I realize, oh, I'm out loud now. I think that's not just in my head. And you have, the, but, but you can do it anywhere, anywhere. And it's as simple as singing Alleluia. And I love what worship does for us. Worship, worship doesn't just, uh, it, it, it's not just, oh, a song we sing, but, but it does things within our soul. The, Jesus was t uh, talking to a Samaritan woman, and, and he says this to her. He says, but a time is coming, indeed it is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and the cool thing about that, you know, we talked about in the Vineyard Value that the Lord is looking for lost people to bring them into a relationship. But what worship does, like no other thing, um, is it brings us into the very presence of God. It's like it's a thin place. When we worship, it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. You are giving um, God your adoration, your praise, your thanksgiving, and, and then all of a sudden, you're experiencing his presence. And he's like, oh, you're going to worship me? Here, I'm going to let you taste and see that I am good. I remember we, when we were ministering in, in Europe, there was a couple uh, who were American expats who started coming to the church. And... And uh, this, this woman, uh, we end up getting together with her. She says, I don't know what happens, but when you guys start to sing, I start to cry. And, and, and it was like she had never encountered the presence of God. And she began to experience God's presence. And when she experienced the presence of the Lord, it meant she cried. She teared up. I remember that uh, years ago, I got involved with a, a person that was related to someone in this church that had been trafficked across America. And she was able to get free from this awful, awful man. And I, I remember having her come to church, and, and she would sit there, and she said, after a couple times, she says, I just, I can't come. She goes, I just cry 
the whole time I'm here, I just weep. There's something about the presence of the Lord that touches us so deeply. And it touches us in ways that we don't fully understand. The hurt parts of us, the lonely parts of us, the parts of us that long for connection, the parts of us that, that are, are, are looking for a taste of the goodness of the Lord. And I love this passage. It says in the Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, sometimes in our lives we can feel down. But one of the great places to tap into joy is worshiping God and coming into his presence because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Let me just tell you, take you just a couple other things about worship. I, I believe that when we worship God, it puts our world back in order. And why do I say this? It, it, St. Augustine said this, he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. How many of you have experienced a restless heart? Oh, yeah, and the others are, didn't raise their hand, they're lying. You know, it's like, if you have a pulse, you've had a restless heart, haven't you? It's like, sometimes it's just like, our hearts are like wanting something, we don't even know what it is, Right? But, it, it, but it's not until we find this connection with Jesus that we begin to find a place of rest and peace and shalom in the kingdom of God. And that's what Augustine discovered. He discovered that his heart was restless until he made peace with his creator. And so sometimes in worship, our worlds need to be put back in order. Sometimes it means we need to think differently about something else in our life. I like this, this uh, passage here in Romans 2.4. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Did you know sometimes in worship, you begin to repent of sin in your life because you, you don't realize that your life is out of order until you come to God in worship and you think, oh my goodness, I've been missing the mark. And, and it's, it's God's kindness that does that. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Gordon Fee's uh, wrote uh, the commentary that we were using on Corinthians. He's written a number of books on the spirit. He talks about when we worship God, there are two things that happen when we come into the Lord's presence. And, and one is, I don't belong here. This sense of, oh my goodness. The, it, God is holy, I'm unholy. And the other is, I am so loved. And you'll have both of those when you come to God in worship. And sometimes that part where we say, hey, I don't belong here, sometimes it, it, it enables us to say, okay, there's some things in my life that need to be reordered. Because repentance is a big word. It's Greek word metanoia. It means to think differently. And, and, and there are times that we have disordered loves in our life. Okay? And this is true uh, for pastors, 
presidents, everyone, we have disordered loves. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes you love things more than you're loving God. Sometimes we think the ultimate joy, the greatest joy, will be when we get this thing. Sometimes it's a, it's a job. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes we think it's a house. You know, we live in the, the who, do, who doesn't like HGTV? But it does set us up for like, the perfect house is what makes me happy, right? And you're like, no. We've been living in an imperfect house for years, and we can find happiness in that imperfection. I mean, I, I watch those shows, and they're like, oh, our kitchen is so crowded. And I think, we raised seven kids with this kitchen. It was sort of fun being crowded, you know? You bump into each other. You got to maneuver around them. Hot pot going through, please. We don't want to spill it on anybody. And, and a small kitchen sort of meant fun. And no, we don't have an open concept. <laughs> I really don't want to take down the wall between the kitchen and the living room. Because when they're in the kitchen, they can have a separate conversation. Right. And if we open it up, now we only have one conversation, but now we can have two conversations. That nice? No, that's not nice. We have to be open. Hey, I'm, t I'm having fun with this, but, but here's the reality. We all fall to disordered loves. We all think, I need this job, I need this house, I need this person. I, my, my family needs to be this way in order for us to be happy. And what happens in worship is we realize that we just need the Lord. We need a right relationship with our Creator. And that flowing from that relationship is joy and is peace and is love. That's why the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, relating to God the Holy Spirit, coming into the presence of God, and that is mediated by the Holy Spirit, brings to us love, joy, peace, forbearance, or forbearance which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that happen when we come into a continuous relationship with God the Holy Spirit, and that is part of worship. Came across an article this week about the missionary nurse in Haiti. Did you see that? She was taken captive. Haiti has a terrible problem with gangs. You'd be praying for that nation. They need a, they need a huge work of the Spirit uh, in all aspects of the, that nation's life. And so the, these gangs take people captive, and they hold them for money. And this uh, woman and her daughter, her adopted daughter, they, they um, or her daughter, I, I don't know, um, they got taken captive, and they were held for a number of weeks, and they wanted a million dollars or more, something like that. And she said it was worship that kept her going in captivity. And she talked about the worship song that, that strengthened her as she worshiped while she was held captive. And then miraculously, she was released. And, and let, me, let me just close the message with, with this. I think when you're in doubt, you worship. When you're in fear, we worship. 
When we're in pain, we worship. When we're happy, we worship. When we're in love, we worship. When we're sad, we worship. When we are whatever, confused, we don't know the answer, we worship. And if you don't believe me on this, read the Psalms. Because so many times, the psalmist would be arguing a bit with God, and then four verses later, they're declaring his praise. They're declaring trust. They're declaring worship. And whatever we're at, wherever we're at, we can respond in worship. That's what Mary did. The unwed pregnant mother of the Savior. She responded to the work of God in her life in worship. Let's stand up and pray together. Jesus, we, we just want to start by confessing that we're not perfect worshipers. We're the imperfect Christ followers. And some of us have never, never, never possibly met you or surrendered to you. Lord, I just want to take a minute and give those people an opportunity to come into a life-changing relationship with you. If you've never given your life to Christ, if this talk that I'm giving this morning and talking about worship is just strange to you, I just want to invite you to come into that relationship. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of our lives and knocks, waiting for us to open it to him. And if that's you, I, you can pray a simple prayer. You can just say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I want to have repeated experiences with you. I want you to be my shepherd, my leader, my savior, and my Lord. Come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. And you pray a simple prayer like that, you have started the most life-changing relationship there is. And for those of us that have prayed prayers like that, we just want to come back and say, God, for some of us, we found more joy in worshiping you in the past than we do in the present. For some of us, we get critical of music or music styles, just not realizing that it's, it's really about our hearts. And Lord, bring us back to our first love. May we fall in love with you all over again. We want to worship you. We want to be continuously transformed by your presence. We want you to use us in your world for your glory. And one way we worship him is a simple meal, this bread and wine. We come back to the death of Christ, which is where Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven and for us to have a living relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he told us to do this when we meet and remember him. And so 
We remember the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat that this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Pour it out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, and when you do this, remember me. For whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the very death of Jesus until he comes. So, Lord, we are grateful to be able to meet you at your table. And, God, I, I'm just praying that anything that's blocking an intimate relationship with you in the lives of your saints here, that you would remove today. <laughs> 